0: Well, hello, my friends.
1: I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, my goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can live inspired. Before we get started, if you haven't yet done so, do yourself and candidly do me a big favor. Consider checking us out on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you grab your social media. If you like these podcasts, it might be a wonderful way that we can stay in touch not just once a week, but day after day after day. It's a great way for me to share our blogs, vlogs, quotes, and reflections. If you love the podcast, I think you're going to love these daily moments too. You can learn about those at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. On today's episode, though, I get to introduce you to a man that I have been following for seven years, I read his book. It's called Nice Bike way back then. His name is Mark Sharonbrock. He is a best selling author. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal leadership guru. I look up to him as a mentor. And I think as we dive into his life story and into the takeaways from his speaking and from his book, you're going to see why. So if you haven't yet opened up your heart, do so now. If you haven't yet opened up your journals, do so now and if you haven't yet buckled up you may want to do that too so my friends get ready for the ride of your life as we welcome onto the live inspired podcast our new friend mark Sharonbrock. thanks john mark listen man i'm a huge fan i've read your work i've followed you online i got to see you live recently uh, and yet, I would imagine some of our listeners, some of our friends and followers, don't yet know who you are and what you do today. So let's kick us off by you telling us a little bit about the work and a little bit more about your life
0: today. That's so kind of you, John. I mean, it was my pleasure to share the platform with you. I, I was—you spoke first. I in the morning. I spoke at after yes. lunch, and uh, what a treat <laughs> of, of being in the audience and, and listening to you. Uh, I've been speaking since uh, to audiences since about 1977, so I've been in the field for a while. Um, my message is all about how we connect more effectively with each other uh, to remind people of that importance and, and how to do that. And um, my, my book is called Nice Bike, Making Meaningful Connections on the Road of Life.
1: We're going to talk about that that book, the award-winning book. We're going to talk about your platform, your speaking, the lessons we can learn from it. But I think maybe the best way we can speak to all of this is take us all the way back, Mark, to your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was life like for you as a kid?
0: You know, John, you and I spoke at a a health conference in St. Louis um, by SSM health, which is started by Franciscan sisters,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, Catholic nuns back in the 1800s. Well, I went to a, a Catholic grade school that was run by the Franciscan Sisters, and the sisters told us all that God gave us all a gift. It was our job to find out what that gift was. And if we couldn't find it, they'd find it for us. And so they, they, had us, they forced us into activities, whether it was athletics, whether it was music, whether it was art, whether it was science, math, and speech contests. And you would have to compete in your classroom, and then you'd go against the winners from the other classroom, and then you'd go against all the uh, kids in the entire school. And for some reason, uh, speech was kind of my deal, speech contest. And so I attributed, to, that's why it was kind of fun meeting you in St. Louis, because I attribute a lot of what I did to the Franciscan Sisters of helping me find some kind of spark that I had,
2: mm.
0: and that was delivering a message in front of an audience.
1: How old were you when that started?
0: Gosh, I was back in fifth grade.
1: Man, so uh, my first time speaking was as a 27-year-old, and I uh, literally got sick in the parking lot on the walk-in. As a fifth grader, were you anxious before you gave that first huge presentation?
0: I was anxious. I, I still throw up in the parking lot before <laughs> a presentation today. I mean, I don't I don't think that changes. Um, I, I don't think those nerves, they're more directed now than they used right. to be. But, uh, I mean, with when you never know about the audience, the listeners, why you're there that day. Um, I mean, there's always a, a set of nerves that you deal with with speaking. I don't think that goes away.
1: So, in addition to the sisters who were reminding you that you have a gift in your job is to figure out what that gift is and how to use it, who, who were some of the influences in your life growing up?
0: I didn't have any. Droppable names uh, of people that played a uh, a big part of my life. Uh, as you've noted, Jack Buck was a, a huge part of your life throughout the years, which I think is so cool. I would have names like uh, Leroy Radovich and um, Sister Roman and uh, uh, Mr. Reed and Eddie Johnson, Connie Crane, teachers that I had, coaches that I had throughout my elementary, middle school, high school years and college years. That were my greatest influences—people uh, that kind of guided me, nurtured, uh, pushed me. Um, those, those have been, and so they're—they're they're not a name that you throw out at a cocktail brand. and say, "You know, Leroy Radovich played a big part in my life." And people go, "Who?" But, but people like that did mm-hmm. uh, little lessons along the way that just added up, encouragement that added up. Um, I, I, you know, everybody's looking for a, an Obi Wan Kenobi or a. Uh, or that sort of person to really guide their life. But I think if you look and really listen to the voices that are right next to you, um, there's, there's a lot to learn.
1: You know, as a as a speaker and a writer, and then when I'm interviewed, people ask about the Jack Buck story, and it's a phenomenal, beautiful story. And, and yet some of the best teachers of my life are more like the Leroy that you mentioned, the Eddie that you mentioned, the Connie that you mentioned. So uh, I, I think too frequently we look for the all-stars and we miss who the true all stars are right in front of us. So I, I, maybe you do this all the time as a speaker and a writer. Maybe not. But t- why don't you tell me a little bit more about Leroy? One thing that you learned from Leroy, one thing you learned from Eddie or Edie, and one thing you learned from Connie?
0: Well, you know, i I'll talk about Leroy a bit because he was a, a shop teacher. A they called the shop teacher back then, industrial arts. We're talking wood and metals and plastics and automotive, that whole wing of the, of the high school. And, uh, and you're required to take a couple of shop classes throughout your high school years. And it, that wing always smelled of sawdust and resin and and fuel oil and that sort of thing. It was always a cool area to hang out. Uh, and Leroy, he'd always be in the hallways um, just uh, greeting kids in a mm-hmm. big way. I mean, the guy was, he had beautiful black hair, curly, big eyebrows, never properly trimmed, uh, wore a lot of Old Spice, which was a very expensive cologne. Nice. And I mean, you, could, you could, mixed in with the smell of resin and, and wood dust. And he'd always, I remember walking by him one day and him, him calling me out saying, Hey, hey, hey Sharon Brock, Sharon Brock, how how you doing? And I said, Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And he went through this whole thing about, Fine? You're fine? That's the best you got? Did you think this one through? Of all the choices you can make, you want to have a fine day. Really, that, that's the kind of life you want to live. And he just went on and on. He said, Hey, go ahead and ask me how I'm doing. I said, How are you doing, Mr. Radovich? I'm doing great. You know why? Because I'd rather have that than fine. Fine is nothing. Fine is average. Great. Now, that's something to strive for. Every second, I want to do something that's great. I don't care how big, how little. I'm going to do something that's great. I'm, that's the direction I'm going. Let's try it again. You ready? Sherbrooke, how you doing? Um, I'm great. Good. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and it just at the time, I just thought he was nuts. Yes. And and just a caricature. But And, and we mocked him, man. We would mock him all the time. We'd be doing I did a great Leroy Ravish from for my friends, but the but the mocking turned to a, a, a habit. The habit turned to a way of life after a while, where I began to understand what he was talking about. That he was talking about the direction you want to go, the attitude you want to have, uh, being more intentional, so that every time somebody comes up to me and says, "Hey, how you doing?" as a courtesy, I actually take a moment and think about it, and I and I tell them I'm I'm great. And on my dad bad days I, I say I'm doing great in my head I had the word full. Yes. I'm I'm great full uh for what I have, what's going on in my world, and uh how life itself is. So I mean that was one of those things that happened to you as a kid, and I, I never had it as my teacher. Yeah, I never wanted him. I just thought he was crazy. But that guy impacted me, but it just took time for me to really understand that and really see it. That's why I said that Sometimes the lessons are all around you, no doubt. But 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 you don't embrace them immediately. It takes some time for them to sink in.
1: Mark, uh, after you discovered that you were doing great and you learned this from Mr. Radovich, wh- where'd you go to college? Where'd you go next?
0: Next step after high school was St. Cloud State University, my hometown college. To be a broadcaster, I wanted to be a game show host. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into broadcasting because I I thought being a game show host would be the coolest thing. But I, I, in the meantime, I was in a comedy group with a group yes. of guys, kind of like Ace Trucking Company, Monty Python. This is pre-Saturday Night Live. Mom's Apple Pie. Yeah, Mom's Apple Pie.
1: I've heard of it, man. I've heard, I heard some of these stories. T- tell the yeah. folks that are so less we, familiar we with Mom's Apple Pie. We sketch
0: comedy, and there were no comedy clubs to perform in, so we went to high schools and did lyceums, uh, high school assemblies. In gyms, we'd, in the theaters, we'd perform comedy. That's when you could have an assembly just to kind of uh, have a break in the day for the kids. And the group performed together for about four years. And then when we broke up, I kept going as a solo, um, mixing comedy about the high school experience, about growing up, about elementary, elementary, middle school, and high school, uh, along with a message of engagement. I mean, my presentation was called The Greatest Days of Your Life, so far, Mm -hmm. which means that high school's not necessarily the the best time of your life, but as long as you're here, be engaged, be involved, make some choices, um, make memories, not regrets. So that, that, that's in essence was what my first message was all about.
1: What was the reception from these kids as you're going around trying to get them to laugh, but also really trying to get them to think and refocus?
0: Well, from a, two answers, John, one from a, a learning standpoint, it was like a, a lion's den. Mm. Um, it's a tough audience yes. of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, mm. seventeen-year-olds. I mean, they walk in the gym, and the only thing they want you to do is to fail. So there's <laughs> nothing better than that. Expectations are extremely low, so you've got to grab their attention in thirty seconds yes. or less, and then give them a strong message throughout. Um, so it taught me an awful lot about being in touch with my audience of. of not worrying about what the words are coming out of my mouth next, but rather where this audience is going, how how to create a bit of a dance with them. Hmm. Um, but as far as the, the the students, I mean, depending upon the leadership of the school, if you had a great high school principal, you had a great school. If you had a lousy high school principal, you had a you had a, an attitude-filled school, negative attitude. So it was. Um, that was part of it, or the culture of the school. I mean, I spoke in some schools in the St. Louis area that were just absolutely phenomenal schools because of their culture. But the interesting thing, I, I, if I saw any change in students, it's that in my early years, um, they, would, they would want the comedy and they'd put up with the messages. And if I saw a change at all, towards the, I don't speak to high school students anymore. It's mainly business groups and adult groups. But towards the end of my speaking to students, They shifted from. They'll put up with the comedy, but they really wanted the message. I I think students today are are looking for content, are looking for um, a message of uh, that's going to help them build a stronger foundation in their life.
1: So, Mark, I like you have done some uh, a broad group of speaking events, from penitentiaries to CEO groups to auditoriums, and. uh, for me, the, the scariest audience still is walking into the high school. I, I, I don't know what it is, but like you, I think if you can get their hearts and their minds in the first 30 seconds, they're all in. I'm curious, though, why do you think it is that kids today, young people, are more hungry for that message of meaning than they were when you first started your career?
0: I th- because our society has changed a bit. Uh, because uh, when I, I'm a baby boomer. I'm not sure how much that has an impact on it, but but growing up, um, there were clear boundaries, there were rules and regulations, there were core values, um, there were this is the way things are done. Uh, There's a lot more structure. And through the years, the structure, family, um, things have kind of fallen to the wayside where kids have to kind of figure it out for themselves more now than they did before. Mm -hmm. Um, Where the parents... A lot of them want to be friends instead of a parent. It's difficult parenting. I mean, you have four kids, and uh, gosh, one out of four is always going to be unhappy about something.
1: Yes. <laughs> or four out of the four, but who, who's I don't want to talk about that right now.
0: But the uh, um, so I, I think that kids are looking for a strong foundation, strong core messages, strong guidance um, to help them and help them chart a path for themselves.
1: Do you think, as a speaker in high schools, that you can bring a message to bear that will either influence one or influence all in a way that 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 school, or at least that individual is better as a result long-term, of you stepping into that group?
0: That's the hope in our career, isn't it, John? Um, That whether it be a 16-year-old or a 60-year-old, that when you have the honor of being on a platform addressing an audience, that there's... Something that you say, some message you share, something that's going to relate to them, that will help them in some way. Um, I've been fortunate that I've been in the profession long enough now, where it's kind of cool because of the internet. People that heard you 20 years ago mm-hmm. can find you mm-hmm. and say, uh, "I remember what you said back then. It impacted me in this way." So it's it's really really cool t- to hear that. But I think you know, hopefully, w- with any speaker or anybody in any trade that if they say something to someone, um, it, it impacts them. I mean if I have one I have a couple of good regrets, but one of them would be, as I'd mentioned Leroy Radovich earlier, uh, I never I never told Leroy Radovich the impact he had on my life. Uh by the time I mean I I, I talk about him in my presentations and yet I never told him that I talked mm-hmm. about him because I didn't know how he would take it. Uh because it's a pretty good Leroy Radovich imitation. Mm-hmm. But it's um but he died of a heart attack, he's gone, and I wish I had had the opportunity to say, Mr. Radovich, um, a little thing you did without even passing in the hallway impacted my life in a big way that you'll never know. And I think that's part of, you know, what my core message is today about... um, I mean, TSA, when you go to the airport, you'll see signs that say, if you see something, say something. Mm Well. It goes the other way, too, that when people do go out of their way to help you say something, impact you in some way, if you see something, say something to them. Let them know. Don't wait um, until the right moment because there's never the right moment. The right moment to tell somebody they've had an impact in your life is right now.
2: Man,
1: that's awesome. Uh, And I I just wrote that down. That's a great reminder. And like you, I see this sign all the time. If you see something, say something. But, gosh, if someone does something, we should say something and let them know how much they have meant in our lives. So it's, it's going to be one of my takeaways, Mark, from this conversation. You, you have become tremendously successful as a speaker and as a writer. Where I first kind of bumped into you, a friend from Northwestern Mutual handed me a book called Nice Bike by a guy named Mark Sharon Brock. And mm-hmm. I, I uh, waited probably a couple of months before I opened it up, but then I eventually got to it, Mark. I loved the book. For those who have not yet read the book, Nice Bike, Tell me again, and tell them a little bit about what the book is about, and then uh, how you how you decided to write it.
0: Well, I was um, I left Minneapolis. I'm from Minneapolis, and I went to Milwaukee to speak at an event north of Milwaukee. And I was in a rental car, and I didn't realize it, but I'd landed right in the middle of of the Harley Davidson hundredth year anniversary. Mm-hmm. There were I should have noticed, because I saw all kinds of bikers on the flight to Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. and when I got there, I mean, I don't mean a couple thousand, I mean hundreds of thousands of people from throughout the world were there to celebrate Harley-Davidson, hundred years of Harley. It was incredible. I'm not a bike guy. I have never in my life have I sat on a Harley. Have you?
1: No, man. I'm terrified. I I struggle with the
0: handlebars on a normal bike, let alone a Harley. I'm not, a, I'm not, I mean, I ride a bike, but I'm not a motorcycle guy, right. so it's never been in my world. But I, I remember being in a, you know, kind of a beige Ford Taurus rental car, driving through the streets and just seeing this incredible celebration of 100 yes. years of Harley. And, uh, man, I wanted a Harley. I wanted to be part of that. I thought it was so cool at that moment. I wanted to be part of that tribe. But I, I pulled over just to check out some of the venues, just because I'm curious, like you are. And you'd see people walking by each other. I mean, they look like big guy with the big beard and yes. tattoos and the big chain in the back holding the wallet in and, the, you know, the do-rag and somebody would go by and go, oh, man, nice bike. And there'd be the biggest smile and a connection between these two people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the next day, I'm in uh, Nina, Wisconsin, talking to a group of teachers and they're, uh, when they're returning back, the next day is, the first day of school is, is the very next day. And this is their in-service before the... Uh, that first day of school. Yes. And I was just kinda of going on a rift about on the stage talking about the hundredth year anniversary and when people uh, would walk by each other go nice back I said, you know, when kids when you stand outside the door of your classroom and kids are walking in on their first day of school into your classroom, and when you look at them go, Oh, John, I'm so happy that you are in my class this year. The lyrics are such a sweet family. It's so good to have you here. That's a nice bike. Mm-hmm. That's an instant connection. You can say good morning. You can smile at them. You say, John O'Leary, you're in my class. I'm so happy you're here. That's nice bike. And the audience nodded like, yeah. So that kind of an ad lib turned into a, a bunch of stories woven together in the book called Nice Bike and how we connect with each other and what that really means.
1: You call out a couple ways that we can create this community, whether we own Harleys or not. Why, why don't you share them with us right now and how we can create that community around us?
0: Well, the, the three steps, the three words that I use with Nice Bike are to acknowledge and to honor and to connect. To acknowledge means to be um, fully present in the lives of others, to be there. To, to honor means to create rich experiences for others, both large and small. And to connect means make it personal. When I say acknowledge to be present in the lives of others, um, our kids, we have three great kids. They're all young adults, and they have grew up and ran away. And so we're left with the dog, and the dog's looking at us saying, hey, can we go for a walk now? <laughs> so we take our dog for a walk, go past the park, and there's a guy swinging his little girl in the swing. She looks about like your little girl. She looked about four years old, adorable. And the guy's leaning against the post of swing, and, and she's swinging, and he's just glued to it the screen on his phone. And as she'd slow down, she'd call over, Daddy. Without even glancing at her, he'd just, he'd just push her a little bit farther. Yeah. Time would go by, and she'd say, Daddy. And he just couldn't leave his screen. And I wanted to walk over to him and say, you know, my little girl's four, and she's 29 now, and she lives far away. and I'm, I don't get to do that anymore. And what's ever right here on your screen is never important. It never is as important as, as what's right here in front of you and your daughter. You know? I should have said it. I didn't. But every time I I see people at a playground or at a restaurant and they're with their kids and all their kids are on screens, I mean, you must be present to win. It's Mm -hmm. like a raffle. Mm -hmm. If you want to win with your kids, if you want to win with your coworkers, if you want to create relationships, um, part of it is, is how we deal with technology in a good and a bad way. And if you want to connect with other people, they've got to be more important the ones that are right in front of you, than maybe somebody else on a screen someplace far away.
1: Mark, I love the example. I witness it frequently, and if I'm super honest about it, I'm occasionally guilty of uh, of, of staring down instead of looking up. Why don't you give us one specific way that we can acknowledge those around us, whether that's an employee, a customer, a client, a child, a spouse, a, a great barista at our coffee shop, one great way that we can honor someone, and also one way that we can connect more fully with those around us. So give, give us the real, the meat on this one.
0: All right. I'll, I'll give you one takeaway to find out how well you're a couple of takeaways to find out how you're doing, um, to acknowledge others and to be present. Um When you you fly out, and you're from St. Louis, John, but I'm guessing you're on the road quite a bit. And um, When you're on a flight and you're sitting next to somebody, if you get into a conversation, if I ask, I'm curious, I don't feel like I've got a lot. I don't have a great story of of life's events, so I'm not really comfortable talking about myself, but I'm more curious about other people, because I think everybody has kind of a cool story. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I ask people next to me uh, questions, nine out of ten will answer all the questions I ask and, and consider it a pretty good conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One out of ten will say, well, how about you? you know, what did you do? And, and tell me about that, and what brought you here today? So I think that the first thing is, is just to be curious about other people, that people have got a story, and what's their story? Uh, I mean, I was in an event, and I just sat down for coffee with a guy. He is a general manager of a, a Wyndham Hotel. He competed in a high jump in the Olympics uh, back in 84. His father, he's Austrian. He was brought up in Austria. And his grandfather uh, was vo- vocal against the Nazis, saying this war is, is lost. He was not a soldier, but he was a civilian. Well, they sent him to a concentration camp. Um... He survived the war, but he was a, a political prisoner at Dachau mm. uh, for over six months towards the end of the war. Well, that's over coffee, <laughs> and, and you, I mean, if I just think there's so many people around us uh, that have got really interesting stories. I mean, you share your stories from the stage, and more importantly, what you've learned and how audience members can apply it to their lives. So I, I think number one is just to be curious. That To be that one of the ten that says, how about you, and tell me your story, and, and where are you from? And I, you know, the other great test, I think, to see how present you are, is that when you're in a conversation and somebody's telling you about something and there's an interruption. Um, cell phone goes off, dog barks, somebody's at the door. You go back to the person that was just speaking, they're going to ask you a question. Six words. And the six words are, oh, what was I just talking about? <laughs> right. If you can give them their last couple of words, oh you' are talking you tell me about the school you grew up in in St. Louis and which high school you went to. Oh yeah, yeah, so anyway, I went to Afton. Well, if you can give them the last couple of words back, then you know you're really present. If you hear that pop quiz, what was they just talking about and you're clueless, you have room
1: for growth. That's awesome. What I try to do, Mark, and I try to put this into practice. But even as simple as when ordering a coffee in the morning, when I when I look her in the eyes or look him in the eyes, I always ask, "How are you doing?" And uh, they usually don't even look up at me because um, it's you know it's just such a common question. But if you keep staring at someone, you almost see like their eyes come alive when they realize, "Holy cow, the guy actually cares." And there's this incredible connection that that takes place even at the coffee shop in the morning at an airport or anywhere else when you're actually present and you acknowledge the person before you. I I think everybody has a story and it's frequently not the one that we're telling the world. So I I love your ideas on how we can be a little bit more present in our lives with strangers and loved ones alike.
0: You're so right about that, John. And I think what makes it. I mean, sometimes they're really busy and it's packed. But even then, all you have to do—I know exactly what you're talking about—if you watch people at a at a fast food place or a sandwich place or the coffee shop, the, the people behind the counter are, are treated like vending machines. Yes. Uh, the number three and a number four and uh, uh, some uh, coffee. It's not. There's no hello. There's no. so all you have to do is what you do. Take a beat. Take a break. Take a just stop it's It'll feel like an attorney, but it's only four seconds and go, "Hey, how you doing? Yeah, you're busy here today, aren't you? Yeah, we're swamped. The look on the person's face will change dramatically when you take a moment in your present as you saw it in the person you dealt with
1: so brother mark how do you how do you honor someone, whether it's a spouse, a child, a partner, coworker uh barista, how do you honor someone how do you how do you create a rich experience?
0: I think by by not calling it in. Um, I'm I'm not a, a huge Rolling Stones fan. I haven't been to a concert in years and years and years. But they were in Minneapolis two summers ago, and my bride, Susie, Susie and I've been married now for forty years as of uh, early June, and she wanted to go see the concert. I was kind of dragging my feet, you know. I don't know why, but I I just stopped going to concerts over twenty years ago. And the seats were way up high in the back and everything else. And I was just, yeah, can I have a binoculars so I can see the <laughs> stage, please? And Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones came out, and I was just absolutely blown away. I mean, Mick, Mick Jagger's 73 <laughs> years old, <laughs> right. and he has moved in places that I don't have places anymore. Yes. The guy's incredible. And they've, they've been performing together for 50 years. Can you imagine that? 50 years of being on the road doing concerts.
2: Mm.
0: And yet... They could have done a 40-minute set, they'd have sold out the stadium, they'd have sold their shirts, they'd have sold their souvenirs, but they didn't. They were so present, they played every song like it's the first time they'd ever played it. Mm -hmm. They played every song like it's the last time the four of them might ever be together. And who knows, Keith Richards is a miracle, (laughs) he's even alive. But I sat there thinking, you know, and granted, yeah, they're making a lot of money, but they don't need the money. No. They, they couldn't spend the money that they have, but they honored 45,000 people in that stadium by not calling it in, by not giving less than what they could have, by thinking this is just one more town on one more tour on one more year of music. And I think whether you were a barista at a coffee shop, whether you were in in the health profession, it, it doesn't make a difference. It's it's not the first call of the day. It's not the last call of the day. But but. To honor people by getting, kind of taking a, a time out and, and making that moment like, you know, this might be the last time I ever get to do this. I'm going to really make sure this one goes right. And so I think to, you know, whether it's a kid's birthday party, whether it's, I don't care what it is, but giving just a little bit more than you take is honoring other people.
1: You know, on my, uh, my my godfather wrote me a really sweet personal note when I got married to Beth. Not quite uh, 40 years ago, like you and Susie, but uh, bumping up toward 15 now. And on the note, he wrote, "Treat each night like it's your first, and uh, and each day like it's your last." Mm. And I think <laughs> uh, that little phrase, "To love each night like it's your first, and each day like it might be your last," has kept me deeply in love with my bride but also deeply in love with life and I think that's what you're trying to challenge us to as we honor each day and honor each relationship
0: and you do the little things for other people that mean a lot uh... the common courtesies uh... treating people like human beings instead of vending machines right. uh... going out of your way to to compliment somebody or, or let them know i mean when you see a child that's well behaved in a restaurant i mean when our three kids were little, we'd take them to restaurants because we wanted that experience. And it was never easy because the wait staff would pull out a tarp and put underneath the <laughs> table at a nicer restaurant. And one of the three was always upset about something. But um, I remember a young couple coming over to us at the end of their meal. And it was obviously an anniversary for them, an early anniversary. And they came over and said, You know, when we saw the three the five you seated next to us, we kind of rolled our eyes. Yes. But your kids are so well behaved. Um, when we have children, we hope they're just like yours. And they yes. said, thank you, and And we were just, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was the sweet... So, I mean, you want to honor somebody? When you do see kids that are incredibly well-behaved in a public setting, when you take a moment out and go, boy, my mom or dad, you, you guys are doing so great. Your kids are so well-behaved. It's a beautiful thing to see. That's an honor. That is creating a really cool experience for them that they'll remember.
1: I love it, and I would also add and when you see them uh wrestling their kids at the table and uh in re- in need of a second tarp below their table <laughs> to let them know that you- you've been there I-, I think parents sometimes struggle with judgment believe it or not and for them to have to have whispered to them on the way out hey you know what we're glad you guys are out we've been there too and these days shall pass so enjoy them while they're here I- for us because our kids are always wrestling it's uh it means a great deal when people show that kind of compassion in a restaurant or an airport or in the back row of church,
0: yeah, there's a uh, we wonder about how what are the little things that we can do to honor people again it's it's not it wouldn't be nice if we all did have the one big answer that would impact people's lives forever, but again, it's those little things we do along the way that add up, um I mean it. I remember listening to to one person at a meeting I spoke at during a breakout session talk about they talked about employee recognition and somebody was doing a presentation on yeah we do the employee of the month we put their picture up on the wall give them a certificate and uh, you know we've all seen that mm-hmm. and somebody else said well you know I don't know whether it works or not but my people seem to appreciate it I find out what their favorite music is what their um, uh, what they love to listen to. If they had to go see one concert, what would it be? And then when they do something really cool, I have a CD or I have, I have, I have something from that musician, and I give it to them. And if that musician's in town, I get tickets, and I send them to the concert. Mm-hmm. I mean, Employee of the Month is nice. Certificate's really cool. But to know something about your employee, what music they listen to, what, what's their favorite movie, what experience would they like to go to to be creative, you could kind of happen for them. At a local grocery store we go to, a young gal named Gabby was our uh, our bagger. They call her Gabby because she's uh, her name's Gabrielle, but boy, she's Gabby. She I mean, everything she'd put in your bag, she would ask about it. What's this? And mm-hmm. I've never seen this before. And do you like this? Well, she's huge into um, this—the dog whisperer, mm-hmm. some guy on TV that whispers to dogs. <laughs> He was in Minneapolis giving a lecture, and sure enough, uh, the store, the grocery store owner, got tickets for her and her parents to go listen to The Dog Whisperer. That's awesome. Well, that is creating a really cool experience So we really value you. We value you as a person and all the different interests you have, and you contribute so much to the experience of our people come through this grocery store. That, that's an example of honoring, to know something about that person and then bring that to them.
1: Mark, you, you, the third leg of the stool was to connect. What, what do you want to say about ways that we can even better connect and make it even more personal with those around us?
0: I, I think it's about owning that moment, about making it personal, uh, of, of stepping up and, and creating a, a stronger connection. I tell a story about my dad, John, but it's... Um, my dad's a World War II vet, and I remember we we didn't do a lot of bonding activities. I, I love the story you tell about your dad, what a, what an incredible person he is, and all the challenges he has, and yet how much he still continues to teach you. Mm-hmm. And my dad wasn't that kind of a guy. I mean, he was a little more gruff, and we didn't have a strong bonding moment until I took him for a, a father-son trip out to Washington, D.C. I had a presentation out there, and um, we went to the Vietnam Memorial. And I remember there was, Two Vietnam vets uh, standing very quietly, one had his hand on the wall touching the name of, of I'm assuming, a friend that was lost in the war. And my dad um, walked, this was in the 80s, for goodness sakes, my dad walked over to him and he said, excuse me, were you fellas over there, Vietnam? And the guy kind of went, yeah, yeah, we were. Because these guys weren't welcome home at all. And my dad just went, you know, thank you, fellas. Uh, welcome home. mm And I remember that vet, his eyes tearing up and come over and saying, sir, you're the first person in 16 years who has ever said thank you to me for serving the country that I love. And he gave my dad a big bear hug. My dad wasn't a real warm, fuzzy bear hug kind of a guy. But I saw tears in the Vietnam vet's eyes and tears in my father's eyes. As a son, that was the first and the last time I experienced that. Mm. And it really, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but that was, our, that was our bonding moment. That was the moment you know every son looks for in his father where my dad taught me what a nice bike was yes. long before I knew it. I mean, he, instead of walking by these guys, his dad acknowledged them. He did a timeout. He was present in their lives. Um, he, he honored them by creating this really cool experience of being grateful to them. And he connected by making it personal, by owning that moment. So that was that was the best moment my dad and I ever had together.
1: Man, it's beautiful. And when you speak, whether in D.C. with your dad in the audience or uh, anywhere else in the country or the world, what do you hope that your audiences leave? What do you hope they hear loud and clear from your message, Mark?
0: Really to take time out and connect more thoroughly with those around them. To, to not let... It, you know, the message that I had when I spoke to high school students... Um, it really hasn't changed that much mm-hmm. in the greatest days of your life so far that if we're waiting for the perfect day, the perfect moment that we're for waiting f- until we have enough money in our bank account or for waiting until we get the bin win a b- the right car, the right title. If we're waiting, 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 that moment will never come. So as long as you're here, um, be grateful, take time out, embrace those around you, see the value, know people's stories, uh, be more as, uh, you know, more interested in, in what's happening to those around you. That's engagement. That's that's having an impact. That's being an encourager. Uh, that's uh, guiding people. And I, I mean, that's what I would hope that people would get from my message.
1: Well, in a marketplace where uh, we are all Uber connected with others through technology and screens and everything else, Mark, you you I think are inviting us to slow down and to connect again to who actually matters and to what actually matters. And, man, I'm grateful for it. I have learned so much from you as a reader of yours, but also as an audience member twice now in your audiences. So, uh, man, I I appreciate you. I applaud you. And now we're going to shift gears and move you from your messages into what we call the Live Inspired Seven. So, uh, Mark, what is the best book that you have ever read?
0: Is this a game show? Is there a... This is the, the end.
1: The prize is you get to hang up and go about your work, <laughs> and we get to go on and, uh, and go about our working days as well. Uh, so I need the I need the prize music to kick on. You know that cheesy. can you hear okay? I yeah okay. We're ready to go. All right, perfect. We, we've heard the button now. Now we can go live. Mark Sharon What is the best book that you have ever read?
0: I think the best book I've ever read is uh, by Stephen Ambrose on on D Day. Um, yeah, uh, Stephen Ambrose recounting Omaha beach and what happened that day, the, the heroism that, what happened on the day has inspired me more than anything else is where, what, what true leadership is, Mm -hmm. um, when leadership is called for in a, in desperate situations and the valor and the courage. Yes. And and no one has told a story about D-Day better than Stephen Ambrose. Uh,
1: Yes, I read that as well and loved it deeply. So tomorrow, Mark, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth?
0: I'd give some of it to the Franciscan sisters, the Holy Spirit, because uh, they're they're taking care of themselves now in their 80s. I thought they were 80 when I was in first grade. They're actually 80 now. But um, I would give some to the Franciscan sisters. And the rest of it, I would, I take part of it and create an experience with Sue and I. To go fishing somewhere really cool together because we like to fish, Mm. and then I would find a way that that money could impact uh, some lives of people that don't know where the money's coming from, but suddenly a uh, guardian angel stepped into their life.
1: Awesome, Uh, that is a great. Uh, concept. And you you mentioned the the nuns, and then you mentioned for the first time the actual name of the school, Holy Spirit. It turns out last September, I was in Minneapolis and spoke at a little Catholic school called Holy Spirit. So I'm sure it's the same one, and they were great kids.
2: Mm,
1: That's cool. If your house caught fire and all living things, that's Susie and your babies, and all living animals were out, you had an opportunity to run in, Mark, and grab one item just one thing that really matters to you, what would you grab?
0: I would grab uh, my, uh, my Winnie logbook. Tell me about uh, that. I've been fishing with the same group of guys ever since high school, and we just completed our 48th annual fishing trip with the same guys. And I've kept a logbook over the past 48 years of where we went, what happened, what the experiences are, where we are in our life, uh, who caught the fish and the silly things that have happened along the way. So that 48-year logbook of memories from fishing with my close friends from high school, uh, yeah, i don't want to make sure that gets out of the house.
1: Uh, But maybe not publicized.
0: (laughs) Not publicized, but (laughs) one of of the things in my book of nice bike, uh, one of the expressions I learned from somebody was, never forget a friend and never let a friend forget you. Mm. So friendships are investments you have to make.
1: Awesome. Well said. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day, having a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want sitting next to you on that bench?
0: It's probably a name that a lot of people have, but I, I'd have to go with Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Um, I, I just, the man for that right time, and and where his heart was, where his mind was, uh, where his self-doubts were, where the courage he found, uh, his wisdom. I, I think he, that would be the most fascinating person in the world to talk to. Mm.
1: What's the best advice that you've ever received?
0: I'm going to go back to um, the one I just gave you, and uh, never, never forget a friend. Never let a friend forget you. To to invest in those people around you, and and don't don't take it for granted. Mm.
1: Man, you've almost made it. Two questions left, Mark. What would you tell your 20-year-old self?
0: I would tell my 20-year-old self to, uh, to have more confidence, to, um, to believe that my core convictions I had back then were actually true and that I could count on them and to uh, take more risks than I thought I was capable of taking. To thy own self be true. Know that uh, what's in your heart is, is, uh, is true, and, and, and stick to your gut.
1: Amazing. You know, here you are an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, an international speaker, successful guy, married kids, the whole works, and yet here's a guy who has to remind himself years ago— To have a little bit more confidence, to have a little bit more conviction, to believe in yourself, man, to take a few more risks. I I think it's advice all of us need to hear loud and clear. Mm. Uh, Finally, Mark, you've made it through the, the puzzle, man. So the game show almost comes to its appropriate conclusion. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read?
0: I'm going to go back to what I told high school kids uh, that got me into this deal and has kind of kept it going. And that would be uh, the greatest days of your life so far. <laughs> um, he taught us how to live the greatest days of our life so far that don't wait. Um, as long as you're here, make this moment count. I would, I would, that would be an honor. Well, Mark, don't for that one.
1: Mark Sharon Brock, you have made this moment count and you have reminded us loud and clear that these are the best days of our lives so far. And we're grateful for the time. You're a peach, John. Uh, those of us who want to uh, to blossom a little bit more so as peaches, where can we learn more about Mark Sharon Brock?
0: You can go, that's so sweet. You can go to our website, uh, nicebike.com. Uh, the book is Nice Bike, which is on Amazon or. Um, at our website uh, for some fun reads and, and some stories. It's all story-based. Uh, our son, Matt, did the illustrations. Uh, we, he's a great artist, which paid off his car loan. And uh, But it's a sweet book. And uh, like you, John, it's it's full of good stories, as you tell your audiences, and I hope they'll enjoy it.
1: Uh, I know they will enjoy it, and we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. But Mark Sharon Brock, uh you have been a gift. You have blessed us, man. So thank you for tuning in. My friends, that was Mark Sharonbrock. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live Inspired. Well, my friends, did you enjoy having Mark hanging out with us for you know about 45 minutes or so? I know I loved having him with us in the Live Inspired podcast. Uh, a few takeaways that I heard loud and clear, I'm going to take it all the way back to the beginning. Something he learned, not from his parents, not from some great mentor in his life, but from, in quotes, ordinary teachers. By the way, reminding us that there are no ordinary people, and there certainly are no ordinary teachers. But what he learned from his teachers, these nuns, is that God gave each of us a gift, and it is our job to discover what it is. What a great lesson to teach a child in school or to open up and to be reminded of today as you journey forward into your day, into your week and into your life, that you have a gift, you do. And it's your job to figure out what it is and then to utilize it for good. He also shared that beautiful story of Leroy, the shop steward, the teacher who said, I'm not fine, I'm great, I'm great. And then had the audacity, not just to answer that way, but to live that way. I think we can all fake fake it till we make it and in, in regard him, hey, I'm great. But Leroy lived it. Uh, Leroy lived it, and so can we. Nice bike reminds us that there are three ways to connect, to acknowledge, to acknowledge what's going on around us, to celebrate those uh, that are serving us or our families, our children, our teachers, the barista, whoever it may be, to acknowledge them to be present, to put the phone down, to be bold enough that when someone looks back at you after a distraction and says, "What, what, what was I talking about? for us to be able to remind them exactly what they were talking about. Thank you, Mark, for that reminder, for that litmus test, to honor them, which means to create rich experiences. You don't call it in, as Mark said. You give it all you got with every experience and every interaction, every day of your life. Or as my uncle said, you treat and you love each night like it's your first and then each day like it's your last. Great reminder, Uncle Bill. And great reminder mark and then finally you connect you make it personal you make it all about the person sitting across from you whether that's a boardroom a dinner table um, classroom patient's bed whatever it may be you make it all about them what a great way to connect man you got a nice bike nice bike now if you have enjoyed listening to the mark sharon brock interview as much as i enjoyed bringing it to you This might be a great opportunity for you to pause just for a moment and to share it. You can review it wherever you pull down your podcast. You can review this podcast and you can celebrate the the work that you are hearing through the Live Inspired movement. You can also tell your friends through social media, hey, check out the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. It's certainly worth sharing In in a marketplace with so much negativity. We try to remind people through this work to wake up from accidental living, to choose to live inspired, that this won't happen by chance, but it will happen by choice. And that is a worthy choice to make. Your lives matter. Uh, What a great reminder. We try to bring that reminder to you week after week after week. If you want to learn more about sharing in this message or learn more about this podcast with Mark Brock or others, check out JohnO'LearyInspires.com. We have the archive for all of our podcasts there, the show notes from all of our podcasts there. We also have feeds for all of our social media there, our blogs, our vlogs, the work I do as a speaker, as a writer. It's worth checking out if you've never been there. JohnOlearyInspires.com. Check it out today. My friends. I love hanging out with you on this podcast. If you can't tell, hopefully you can see it in my smile right now. I'm grateful that you are part of this movement that has now touched more than 500,000 people. More than half a million people have tuned in. Thank you for being one of them. Thank you for helping me remind the rest of us that the best days remain in front of us. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary and this is your day. Live inspired.